Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and Roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hey folks, I'm Amy Wright. Welcome to a special podcast edition of Insights, where this hour you'll hear an in-depth interview and charming conversation between the late W.S. Holland and Rev. Neil Down, recorded in 2015 at the Diddy TV studios. W.S. was familiar to many by his nickname Fluke, and he spent the better part of 60 years as a drummer who played with Carl Perkins, Johnny Cash and the bands, the Tennessee Three, the Great 80s Eight, and the Johnny Cash Show Band, and he even played drums on the 1955 Sun Records recording of Blue Suede Shoes and performed on the Million Dollar Quartet Session that featured Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Perkins, and Cash. In September 2020, at the age of 85, Fluke passed away at his home in Jackson, Tennessee, just miles from where he was born in 1935. Please enjoy the spirited one-on-one as we look back in honor W.S. Holland. All right, hey, uh, welcome to Diddy TV. I'm Rev Down, and I'll tell you what, this is truly a treat. I'm honored, everyone here at Diddy is honored to have the great, the one and only W.S. Fluke Holland here on the premises. Man, good to meet you, man. Thank you so much. What an honor to be here. I'll tell you what. Man, I'm thinking about the first time I was in this town. Back in 1954, come over here with Carl Perkins and got our first record deal. And here we are this many years later. What an honor this is. And to meet you, how great can it be? Well, the honor is truly mine, the <laughs> honor and pleasure. Man, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, man, that about the first time that you uh, walked into to, uh, uh, you know, uh, encountered Sam Phillips in the first session you did there. Uh. <laughs> well, it's been about 61 years now, and it seemed like it's happened last week. <clears throat> it's kind of an unusual story. I was uh, living in a little town south of Jackson, Tennessee, called Bemis, Tennessee. It just happened that Carl Perkins and his family live there also. Well, I just just out of high school and had a job in an air conditioning company, S.M. Lawrence Air Conditioner. I was going to be an air conditioner technician. It was just be- beginning to happen. I thought that would be a great way to make a living. <clears throat> and I met Carl and his two brothers. They had a little band. They played around some of the clubs. And for some reason, I don't I look back at it now, I, I don't even know why I would do this. I would go to some of the places they were playing. And, and later I began to think maybe the reason I'd go is I thought maybe if there'd be some girl there that wasn't too particular, I might be able to take her home. <laughs> but, I got a feeling you do okay, buddy. <laughs> I, I met those guys, and, and, and for some reason, I don't know why I would do it, on some of the up-tempo songs, I'd walk out beside a Clayton, Carl's younger brother, played the big upright bass, and did mostly Hank Williams songs. They'd do a fast song and a slow song. And uh, uh, one of the Hank Williams songs was kind of up-tempo, Hey, Good Looking. And when he'd do that, I'd walk out beside the bass and just like, hey, hey, good looking. Well, it keep time on it. I don't know why I did that. <clears throat> One night at a club called uh, Hilltop Inn, I was there when they were leaving, and Carl said, W.S., we got an appointment Thursday morning with Sam Phillips at Sun Records in Memphis. Borrow some drums and go with us. I said, I can't play. What would I do with a drum if I borrowed it? He he said, you keep time on that bass, you could play drums. Again, for some reason, I go the next day, find a guy that had some drums. His name was Slick Glisten. I tell him what I want. I said, Slick, I need to borrow your drums. I want to go to Memphis with Carl and his brothers 
for a recording session next Thursday. He said, well, WS, you can't play. I said, if you loan me your drums, I'll be playing by Thursday. He let me have them. I went out in my mom's house, never had seen a drum set up, set them down. And Thursday, we get in my car, come over to Memphis to meet Sam Phillips, do a song called Movie Mag. I bet you've never heard it. <laughs> tell you what, I've got goosebumps from this well, song. Well, all right. <laughs> Carl, he, he wrote the song about his girlfriend named Maggie going to the movie on a mule named Becky. And we did that song for Sam Phillips that day. He liked it. It's kind of an up-tempo thing. It's like uh, one line in it was, uh, climb up on old Becky's back and let's ride to the picture show. And that got a recording contract. And we talked about it on the way home. First time anybody ever played, thought about playing, got a recording contract. And all these years later, just all about a year ago, my wife Joyce got a jukebox to put in the music room and putting all the records on that I've played on all these years. And we like to never have found that record, Movie Mag. And that that was unusual for that to happen. But we went back home, and, and I all at once it was 1955. And I still had my job working on air conditioners at SM Lawrence Company. But we began to play show dates <clears throat> because... Back then, all you had to do to become a star, it took nine minutes. You go into Sun Studio, took Sam three minutes to cut a song, took about three minutes to run it up to Dewey Phillips' Red Hot and Blue radio show. It took him three minutes to play it. Nine minutes, you was a star. You could play anywhere in the a hundred mile radius of Memphis that weekend and filled the National Guard Armory. Exciting, <laughs> so that, exciting so, times, man. So that's how we all started out. But in 55, here come the rest of the Sun Group, like Johnny Cash, Roy Alberson, Jerry Lee, Sonny Burgess, the Pacers, Charlie Rich, Charlie. Oh, there was so many. It was yeah. about, I got my a sheet out the other day listing the Sun artists that came. There's a about 15 of them. But, and that's where we started touring together around the country. Sam and Bob Neal, a disc jockey, started uh, <clears throat> a booking agent called just Booking All the Sun Artists Together. Uh, and that's when Elvis and Scotty and Bill and us and John of Tennessee, too, and, and all the guys worked together. And there's a couple of times we'd, we'd get all oh, a long ways out of town. We'd get all the way to Texarkana one time. And we thought that was a big deal. And it was. It was a big yeah. deal, wasn't it? Yeah. But at, uh, in, in, in 55, we went, we went in in the 55 and recorded Blue Suede Shoes. Now, it came out early 56. It became a big hit so quick. It was amazing. And I had to make a decision to keep working on air conditioners or play in the band. <clears throat> and I'll I tell you why I decided to play in the band. <clears throat> One of the shows we played that the book was down in Helena, Arkansas. And we drive down to Helena. That's when we had to come to Memphis to cross the river and go down to Helena. The bridge wasn't there. And we played the show, a big stage in the, in the football field in there. And Iron Charlie, the Lugan brothers, Chet Adkins, and us was on the show. We do the show. We get back to West Memphis, stop to gas the car up, and we got us something to eat, and we counted our money, and we had just a little under $20 a piece. And I said, boys, let me tell you what's happened here. I don't know if y'all realize this or not. But I said, I got off at noon today. 
the company let me off. Then I get, I, they let me come in late tomorrow. And I go down to Helena, Arkansas, play this show. Two real good-looking girls has asked me to stay and have a party with them. We get back up here. I count my money. I've made almost as much tonight as I make a whole week working on air conditioners. Never at any time had a, a girl ask me to stay, have a party with her when I'd be at her working on the air conditioner. Now, y'all can do whatever you want to. I'm going to play in a band the rest of my life. So here we are with you today having a big time. Man, I tell you what, I say rock and roll kind of. God, what, what was, so what was it like uh, uh, on the road with Carl Perkins all the time? I mean, you spent a, played a lot of gigs with Carl Perkins. I look back now, and I read about the stories with Carl and John and the whole time. I hear about so many things that, that some people think wasn't good. I missed it all. It was, it was all great for me. I had a, I had a great time. Uh, with Carl, we, we traveled all over the country. And, but in 1960, it seemed like it was all over. I was going to retire from the music business. <clears throat> I'd met Joyce, and I was driving around Jackson in a big, long Cadillac I'd, I'd bought, and I'd spent all my money on the cars and speedboats, and Carl and Clayton and Jay had spent all their money on, uh, well, they was thirsty a lot, so... <laughs> It looked like it was pretty well over. Sam Phillips had made all the money he wanted to make, and Sun Records was kind of shutting down. And I did the things with a boy named Carl Mann, recorded the Mona Lisa up-tempo oh, yeah, version of song. that. I did that with him and, a, and another boy named Rayburn Anthony. And I just thought it was all over for me. And uh, Joyce and me was planning on getting married. <clears throat> That Cadillac I was driving around with had three payments behind on it. And Joyce had a car paid for and a good job and a house paid for. And she finally talked me into marrying her. That was in 1960. And I was going to get me a real job to get a paycheck every Friday. And I got a call from Johnny Cash. And, of course, I'd met him in 1955, and we toured together, and we owned a million-dollar quartet session together. That was a Carl Perkins session, and when those boys dropped by, it became one of the most famous oh, yeah. sessions in the world after they all became famous. <clears throat> but I didn't get to get a job. John wanted me to go with him for two weeks, and I went those two weeks, and we did a week up in New York, come back a week in Atlantic City. He said, I really like what's going on. So he didn't have a drummer then, just had two guys, Marshall and Luther. And he said, I really like what's going on. He said, I want you to play with me occasionally. I said, John, I can't do that. I said, I just got married. I'm going to get me a job that I get paid every Friday. I'm going to get a regular job. He said, well, what I'd like to do I'd like for you to play with me every, everything I do from here on, as long as I'm in the business. Whatever I do, I want you on it. I said, well, that sounds like a regular job. He said, it would be as regular as mine would be. So I called Joyce that night. I said, Joyce, I've decided I'll stay in the music business. So that two weeks turned into being almost 40 years. Wow. Traveled all around the world so many times with John Cash. It was amazing. He seemed like a really a beautiful man, really. Oh, it, he was an unreal person. Please tell me about him. Well, you know, you know what is? It's hard to tell anybody about Johnny Cash. He he was he was so unusual, and and he he had to be a super talented person to think of the things that he would think of to do them the way that that we did them. Uh, there's so many things. If we had a, <clears throat> I don't know, couple of months, we'd cover some of them. But he, to me, he never was a boss man. It was just like 
we was partners and we worked together and 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 I was a was and still am the luckiest guy in the world uh to be the only person in in the group we had about eight or ten different guitar players bass players pianos the whole deal and I was a lucky one to stay the whole time with him and <clears throat> but he he was so unusual he would have ideas of it because one of the things that Folsom Prison, when we did that, we'd played several prisons before that, and but he had the idea to record it, and I remember us talking about it. I said, "I don't, I don't think he'd even pay for the tape." That's how much I knew about the music business. Ahead of his but, time, right? Yeah, we uh, we went in and recorded. It was one of the biggest. That was the beginning of him being a, a big star. Then the next year, we did the San Quentin. And a, a thing happened there that was so unusual. Nobody in the show business would have done what he did right there. <clears throat> we couldn't hear what was going on on the stage. The, the, those audience in those prisons is one of the big things that made it all happen. They were so great. And they were. we didn't have the monitors and stuff like that. You couldn't hear. And John just come out of his pocket with this paper, a letter, that he got from Shell Silverstein. I didn't even know he had it. And he just started reading that boy named Sue. Well, Carl Perkins, was he joined the band by then, and he was standing up close to John, and he could hear what John was saying, and he just kicked off a little deal on the guitar. Well, when he did that, then I could hear his amplifier, and we just started playing something, boy named Sue. And when John got through re <laughs> reading this, the letter. <clears throat> he stopped, and when he stopped, we did. Now, the first time we heard it to know what was going on was back in Nashville in the studio listening to it long enough to see if we could get a good enough mix to release. We didn't ever get a good enough mix, but we released it anyway, and it was one of the biggest things. And think about that. A guy going on the stage with a band, they don't have any idea what he's going to do, so he just starts reading it, and the band starts playing something. And one year in, uh, <clears throat> in 1976, we had a birthday party out on the road. It's my birthday. But anyway, at the party, John just took a watch off of his arm and handed to me, I didn't think anything about it. I didn't, still don't know how to spell it, but I've still got the watch. It was a Pate Philippe watch. Now, the next year, 77, we're on the road again with my birthday, and he gets me a new Lincoln Continental Mark V, Bill Blass edition, brand new, and buys for me. And I've had it all these years, but now the company I work for, a good friend of mine, up in Minnesota called Cambra, they build countertops, and the, the boy that owns it, Marty Davis, is such a great Johnny Cash fan, and I was so lucky he was a Johnny Cash drummer fan. So he's got the car now. He got it for his birthday wow. last year. So, but to, but to think about that now, here's the strange part about John, those two birthdays. The next year for my birthday, he gave me a picture about that's about a foot square of Abraham Lincoln. Now, the next year, the next and the next and the next, and never again did he mention my birthday. Now, isn't that kind of a strange person to you? It's about as mysterious as the pyramids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's so many things about John that, that made things happen that did that nobody else would think about. I'll tell you about the Ring of Fire. Please. The big Ring of Fire record. <clears throat> that record was released by Anita Carter, June's sister, a pretty good while before, before we cut it. And her, she has the prettiest voice in the world, and she sang it quite different. But one day, John called J Jack Clement. He was in Cowboy Nashville Jack. at that time. When he left Memphis, he went to Nashville. <clears throat> He said, Jack, I had, a, I, had a, I had a dream last night. I dreamed 
I recorded this Ring of Fire record song that Nita has done, and and I, and I used two trumpets on it, Mexican-sounding trumpets. Now, at that time, nobody thought about a trumpet on a country record. And Jack said, John, what was you on last night? <laughs> he thought it had to be something wrong. I'll but, take a couple. Yeah. <laughs> but we called two trumpet players, went in, the record Ring of Fire. I think the trumpets is what made it a big record. Oh. And all these years later, it's still we we'll be doing a show with with Ron and, and, and Jimmy and Gator, and, and we'll be doing a show somewhere. We'll have Joyce will be doing merchandise, and a ten twelve year old kid will come up to the merchandise stand singing a humming "Ring of Fire." Da 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 da. All these years later, so it's things like that he did that was so amazing and 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 I look back at it and I say how did it all happen and why did it happen you guys are best friends man yeah aren't you? yeah You're great friends, friends all the time I'll tell you what I I know he was I mean he he, he was a very multi-dimensional guy like you said I mean he was friends with Billy Graham yeah, yeah. right I mean yeah. you know uh, yeah. and that story about when he was down in the uh uh, was it uh, Jamaica, and the and the the outlaws came to the house and uh, oh well, <clears throat> he uh, we met a fellow named John Rollins who was a real wealthy uh, politician, and he uh, <clears throat> he owned uh, Orchid Extermination Company. He become real rich and famous, and we become friends. And we go over to Jamaica with him. He had his own lear, and we'd go. And he uh, he built a hotel in Jamaica, and we'd go over to play the opening of the hotel. And and John and June bought a, a big house there, right on the beach in Jamaica. And they spent a lot of times down there. And at one time, and it was it was a wonderful place. We went out and play on the beach and just have a big time. But for some reason. Somebody had heard about John and the family, and they broke in the house over there and and did a lot of damage and scared uh, John's sister real bad. Uh, after it was all over and done, it wasn't anything that was all that bad. But at the time it was happening, it was uh, it was really a, a kind of a bad time. But it, it worked out okay, and and John and June it spent a lot of time over there. It, it was it was a great place, and Joyce and me went over qu- quite a few times, and the band and and, and all of us went to play. Uh, we played uh, we played some schools to raise some money for some schools over there. It was it was, it was another great time that we had. Yeah, I think you know I, I think I may have read about that in his book Cash by Cash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I must say that you you're. Uh, Frequent the pages quite often, yeah, and right. and uh, very fondly, yeah, I must say. Well, and, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, well, you know what? I just think that, uh, man. I mean, that's so cool. It just it says uh, kind of says a lot about the guy that you are to be, you know, favored by Johnny. I mean, you know. Well, like, I make a joke out of it now. <clears throat> people will ask me, said, "Man, what was it about Johnny Cash?" And even Carl Perkins, and all those years, and and now, it's since '97. It's been like 17, 18 years since we played our last show, and today, Johnny Cash is 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 all over the world. is is bigger deal as he ever has been, and people will ask me, so what was it about John? It made him all that famous all those years and still yeah. all that famous. And I said, hey, it was the drummer. Jig it. That's obvious <laughs> to all of us here. I'm sure that you get phone calls from the, you've been hit up by the Rolling Stones to meet you and the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. Tell, will you tell us about that? Like, Well, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I've heard three or four times that Ringo, Told somebody, he said, "Man, he listened to W.S. Holland play. It's where he got an idea to play something." And uh, 
I don't know, it's hard for me to believe he said that, but that's, it's, it's really an honor to be, to know that it's, somebody thinks he said it. And it would be, a, I never have met Ringo. <laughs> what I, <laughs> if, if I could see Ringo, I'd say, Ringo, man, me and you, it'd, it'd be an honor for me. To, for me and you to get together and play something before you get so old you can't play. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. That's but great. That'd be, wouldn't that be something to do that? That would be good. That would be a nice thing, a nice we, treat we, for you. We to... get him here and come back and we'll do a show here. I love it. We get, get him to come. Yeah. We'll get him to set the drums up like they're supposed to be. On Le- Levon's kit. There you go. <clears throat> yeah. So what? But, the, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, talking about John Cash. I've spent a lot of times trying to correct people about things they've heard. You know, all the books, all the magazines, the movie, and I, they've all got the wild and crazy Johnny in it. So many people are not lucky enough, like I was lucky, to know the good old Arkansas farm boy, average, a lot of times, Johnny Cash buddy, and, and I... I I kid my my friend at uh, Cambria, Marty Davis. I said, "What I would like to do when I get my next extra hundred million dollars, I would like to do another movie about Johnny Cash." And you know, the Walk the Line movie stopped in 1968, just as he was becoming a big star. I'd like to do another Johnny Cash movie, and and do the Johnny Cash I knew the good old boy, farm boy, and do it all. Uh, I don't think there was a scene in, in any of the, the movies so far had him doing anything except being kind of a, some people think a bad boy, but it wasn't all that bad. You know, he had a movie before that uh, called, uh, uh, one, one title it had Door to Door Maniac. I bet you didn't never heard of that movie. I, you know what? I, yeah, he I did, did that in about. This is I've joined because we did the soundtrack for it. But <clears throat> he's so the people that that begin to know Johnny Cash. We talk about it a lot, Ron and me. I think because of the things they read about, they they thought he was the type of person that he wasn't. Because I I used to try to correct people. That somebody talked about when John was in prison or when he did this or when he did that. And I try to tell him, hey, Johnny Cash was never in prison. The only time he was in prison is when we played one. He was gigging. Yeah. But some people think he was actually put in prison and arrested. And and I try to explain that to him. And I, I told John in about the late 80s, I said, I'm going to quit trying to cover up for you and, and tell people about you wasn't in prison, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, because they think I'm lying, just trying to cover up for you. So I'm starting to tell them, when they talk about you, I said, man, he was a mean dude. <laughs> he was in prison two or three times. It's a wonder he hadn't got put in an electric chair. They believe that, sure. you know. But well, it's, uh, he, he, it's amazing. He... Uh, the only time, and I try to make them believe this story, the only time he even was, got put in jail that I know of, we played a show down in Starkville, Mississippi. After the show, we all came home because it wasn't very far down there. I lived over Jackson where I lived. <clears throat> and he got out after the show, wandering around in some guy's yard, walking on the flowers, and they called the sheriff <laughs> and Put him in jail that night when they found out who it was and I was letting him out. But now, years later, by him doing that, there's a big, ste- a big deal down there every year called the Johnny Cash Flower Picking Festival. No so, kidding? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so, so the time he did actually get put in jail, it, it become famous for a lot of people. What about the lights at the Grand Old Opera? He was good with his shoes, wasn't he? At the, at the Grand Ole Opry. When he stomped out the lights or whatever. Could, now, is, it, I, is that well, true? I think he had made uh, an appearance before that I was there. I think he made an appearance 
see, it was 1960 when I joined. I think he'd already kicked out the, the okay. lights, but I never did believe that. But uh, it sounded like something he might do. Uh, I'd like to see some pictures of it or somebody that knows. Yeah. But, but when I did the Grand Ole Opry with him, I remember very well because nobody, they didn't allow drums. When uh, at that time, they let a boy have a snare drum and stand up and play with brushes. So I got this little note from John said, we were playing the opera Saturday night. Bring those funny little things that goes clang, clang. Now he it. was talking about the cymbals and all. And I carried my, still got the drum set. It's in the Johnny Cash Museum now up there that I had that night. And I was setting them up on the stage. And the manager of the opera came and said, yes, you can't, you can't set that whole set of drums up up here. And I said, well, this is what I do, John. Said we were playing. I, I don't know how to do anything else. And he just shook his head and said, well, set them up. And he went to the office. That was the first full set of drums that was set up on the, on the stage. Another weird thing about Johnny Cash, he wanted me to come bring all my drums, knowing that they didn't allow drums. So that was the fir a first time for mm -hmm. that. Man, you, and now you go, you got just drums all over the stage. Man, what was it like uh, the Johnny that Johnny Cash show? Well, that's another honor for me, and and it's amazing for me to be able to be the one that was on that show because starting in early sixties, when we met the Statler brothers. Right. And they came on. That's a funny story, how that happened. And and Carl Perkins came on the show with us and the Carter family. And when we we went all over the, almost all over the world, many, many times. And with that show, when, when it, we kicked off the show with Carl doing what he did, and the Statler brothers doing what they, we did, and, and the, Carter family doing what they did. We'd have intermission and then John doing what he did. I, I, there might have been since then uh, what I would consider a better and greater show. I don't know how it could be because we did so much different, so many different styles. You had to like something that we were doing. We oh, I, I, I love watching those on YouTube. I watched those when I was a, you know, a kid and uh, I mean, Tony Joe White, everybody was on. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was our TV show. But our concert days, see, Carl, we did rock and roll. We did the Statler Brothers. We did kind of uh, gospel. The uh, Carter family did mountain music. Then we did Johnny Cash style. But now, when we started the TV show in 69, I think, then that was another whole world that we were in there and having all those people like you're talking about to come in and be on that show for about oh I don't know about three years or something like that and to show you how, how I don't know if you call it luck or how unusual Johnny Cash was that show the reason he got that show it was a replacement for the Smothers Brothers TV, summertime TV show Okay. It was just to replace them for the fall season. But then it had so much success, then it, it was a big, big deal. Yeah, it was exciting, man. And it you was, remember that. Oh, absolutely, man. That's, that, that, that's, you know, people, a lot of that's archived on YouTube. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like we should tell people to revisit that because yeah. it's not only fun, it's educational. There's a lot of great music on there, and oh, it's, yeah. well, it's a we lot had, of fun. I, I can't even even begin to think how many different people we had on it. Bob Dylan's one. Yeah, but they say. I mean, then he did yeah. a duet, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it's uh, that show though. We they start setting it up on Sunday. Then we go in on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Rehearse. That's an old Ryman Auditorium. And and then Thursday night we'd record the show live. Then. Friday and Saturday, we'd go somewhere on tour. And that's, we'd 
fill every building that we played in all over the United States. We'd have time to go like to California and wherever and back, and then be back Sunday. And it, I didn't realize it back then. Uh, we was in the big time. Oh, yeah, you were. I look yeah. back at it now and see all those videos that you was talking about. And I see that pretty little boy sitting back there on the drum stool with all that black hair. Beautiful. I said, who was, what happened to him? <laughs> well, I say he's all, you know what, I think you should publish an essay on Beauty Secrets because you, you're holding up real good, my man. Well, I, I, I'm thankful for it. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I, I tell people I'm going to have a party on my 100th birthday. I'm going to invite all my friends, and I'm going to do something spectacular. I'm going to do something I've never done before. They said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to smoke a cigarette and take a drink of whiskey because I never tasted it before. You never tasted whiskey? Never. Never took a a taste of alcohol beverage or puff off of a cigarette so far. Now, I'm not going to talk about some things I did do. That's just a couple I didn't do. We'll have to wait for that book, right? Yeah. Well, Ron's <laughs> working on the book. It's going to be out. And they're working on the documentary of uh, when I was a little kid starting now. And, and it's funny how it's all worked because in 97, when we quit, I was going to retire again. I said, this is it. It's all over. But I can still play as about good as I ever could. I make a joke out of that because I never could play very good and play good as I ever could. But I still like to play, and I was going to retire again, maybe do something local around home. And I met a fellow by the name of Ron Haney. And because of him, I had to keep working. I ought to, I ought to, he ought not be afraid. I ought not like him, but I thank the world of him. He played guitar, sang, had a band when he was young. He said, W.S., you don't need to retire. Let's get a band together and keep playing. He said, I can book us all over the wherever we want to go, Europe and everywhere else. And, of course, I knew the members of his band. And I, I said, wait a minute. You mean, I said, what are we going to call the band? He said, we'll call it the W.S. Holland Band. I said, wait, as great as you are playing the guitar like you do, Jimmy Reese playing bass like he does. Nobody plays better. <clears throat> Alan Wheeler plays piano. Nobody plays it better. And what are you going to call it? You mean you let me be in a band with you guys as good as you are, and you'd call us a W.S. Holland band? He said, yeah. I said, well, that'd be an honor for me. So I didn't get to retire again because of Ron Haney. All right. And I'm it. so thankful I met him. Hey, you feel like sharing a uh, a Jerry Lee Lewis story with us? <laughs> I think back at sometimes uh, somebody has to say something to make me think of something. Two or three things about Jerry Lee. <clears throat> now, of course, when I actually met him, to know about him, the Million Dollar Quartet session, that was a Carl Perkins session to record the song after Blue Suede Shoes, Matchbox. Now, great song. We came back into Memphis. Now, the reason Jerry Lee was there, Sam hired him to play piano with us. And what made it all happen, in the middle of the session, John and Elvis just dropped by to say hello. Nobody knew they were coming. They heard we were in town, and we'd all met each other the year before, see, and traveled together, all of 55. In fact, there's, I got a, somebody sent me a video the other day of, of 55 with Elvis in a video backstage. And I, di- I didn't figure anybody had like a home camera in 55. Man. But it got it. But then somebody put it on the computer, and it says Elvis's first video. And there was uh, Elvis and Carl and John and 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 Clayton Perkins and, and myself uh, backstage. I, I think it might have been Oklahoma City or somewhere. But back to Jerry Lee Lewis. <clears throat> in the middle of that session, when they came in, we just stopped, and they wanted to do a jam, start singing. And Elvis did something kind of strange. If you, if you look at the 
famous picture, you see Elvis is sitting down on a piano stool, and Jerry Lee's standing up. And Elvis kind of kidded Jerry Lee, said, let me sit down there, Jerry, and show you a few hot licks on the piano. And normally that would make Jerry mad, you know. I would <laughs> but, think so. But it didn't. If you, You've seen the famous picture. Sure, oh, yeah. yeah he's standing up. Standing <clears throat> right in the sun above the bar yeah. there, right? Yeah. Now... <clears throat> They did whatever they did, started singing. We didn't, you couldn't hear what they were singing. We just started singing and playing stuff. Now they got through. Nobody thought anything about it that night. Two things happened that made it famous later. Jack Clement did think to turn the recorder on and let it run and went next door to the Taylor Cafe and got him a sandwich. He didn't think anything about it. Now, Sam did think to call a photographer and made the picture. Now, <clears throat> later, when they became big stars, then that became a big, a big deal. Later, when uh, a guy named John Cassette made a Broadway play out of it, then it really became famous, and, and I, I now go with the uh, Cambria company to their dealer events to a lot of the million dollar quartets. And I, I'll sit in and, and play some with them or tell some stories. <clears throat> and, uh, I, <laughs> I, I tell about, uh, <clears throat> Sam, I talked to him later after that happened that night and they did become big stars. People ask me now said, what was it like to be in, the studio with all those big stars that night. And I said, hey, there were no big stars in that studio that night. I didn't know a drummer couldn't be a big star. The thing I had on my mind most of all was it was the time that Sam had to start keeping time and pay union scale for a session. And all that was on my mind was getting my union scale money, it was $11. So that was a big deal. But then I, I, I kidded Sam later when it did become famous. I said, Sam, if you'd have really, really been smart like a lot of people think you are, you'd have had that camera to pan over about three feet. I would have been in that picture, then it really would have been famous. You sure should have been. <laughs> and, it, and it didn't even make Sam mad. He kind of he laughed about that. He was a character, huh? Yeah. yeah so. Got a good Sam Phillips story? I mean, one of the many millions probably. Here's what's the last time I was at the studio with Sam. <clears throat> the thing that Sam would do every time we'd come in for a session, and there was several times we'd come in like – middle of the day, and it almost be getting light when we leave. I don't even know how much stuff we did record. But all he would do as far as a drum setup was, was take his billfold out and lay on the snare drum so it wouldn't make a ring. And <laughs> about, oh, it's been so many years ago now, <clears throat> we did a thing down at Sun, and... Sam was there, several people was there, and I hollered at him. I said, Sam, I can't play this if you don't lay your billfold on it. Well, now we had mufflers and all that and knew how to do it. He come over and laid his billfold on this. <laughs> and when we got through with it, I picked up his billfold, opened the money, his billfold, and just took the money out of it. Hand him back his billfold. Said, I've been wanting to do this now for all, all these years. I was hoping you were going to tell me that. Well, he made me give me his money back. Did you enjoy going down to the Phillips Recording Service after 706 Union? Did you, did you like uh, that room down there a lot? Or? No, that was after <clears throat> uh, I'd got with John, and I don't remember the year, but it seemed like, you know, it, it, it was at one time there was nothing going on as far as recording, and, and a boy named Chip Moen did the, uh, the record. Uh, anyway, they, John and I forgot who all was on the, on the, uh, 
the, the record, but they called the sound trucks in outside, and 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 we we recorded that, and didn't use the equipment inside. Oh, the class of '55. It might have been. Oh, the the, the uh, yeah yeah the the reunion. Yeah, yeah reunion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. I, was, I was on that. But that's after I joined John. See, see, John wouldn't do anything back then without his favorite drummer. Well, I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> but. <clears throat> So then, uh, after that, I thought that it was, wasn't going to be anything else happening in the sun, but they started recording again in it. Then people, I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world about so many things, people from Europe, several different groups have come in from Europe, and they didn't know much about music. They thought if they go to Sun Records or somewhere and, and, and make a CD and they have W.S. Holland on it, that it would make it better. And, and I didn't tell them any difference and I didn't want anybody to ever tell them any difference because Ron and me still, we go in several times a year from somebody in, in Europe or somewhere or Canada or wherever and still record at Sun, still have a big time doing it. Must be kind of sentimental for you to walk in. You must get a chuckle out of walking in that room and thinking about, you know, it feels like yesterday, probably. Here's a, you know, <clears throat> I wasn't lucky enough to go to college, and I didn't learn a lot of big words, and I learned what little I know just asking questions. But to answer a, a question like you just said, what was it like? to walk in that sun studio all those years later and, and now. And really so, so many other places, like in Nashville in the early 60s, to walk in the Columbia studio and record there. And, and, and then to go to a, a, a fellow like me that from a little town in South Hello, Tennessee, down on the Tennessee River and then come to... Bemis and when you're a kid and get into music business and had no idea how to read music at all. Nothing about, still don't know how. People ask me, do you read music at all? I said, not enough to affect my playing. But to do all the things I've done and then have a memory and think about it, now I wished I'd have gone to college. So maybe... I could have learned the words to tell you how it makes me feel. Oh, that's I, profound. I, 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 don't, I don't know the words to say to yeah. tell you how, how it makes me feel. I think and, I and, and, and to finally meet and be here with people like you doing a show like this. Think about that. I mean, how lucky can I be? Well, how lucky can we be? You are, you're truly <laughs> royalty, you know? It's like, it's, and... Uh, you know, I mean, an education is a wonderful thing, but sometimes a fish has got to jump out of the school. That's right. How about that? I like that. I got to use that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't that true? Well, the next time we get together, we'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll start like where we're ending, and we'll get Ron and Jimmy and Gator, and we'll come, and we'll change the drums around like they're supposed to be, and we'll play three or four songs. You got a bottomless hat full of great ideas, I yeah. must say. It's funny, it's like usually, <laughs> it seems to me like a big ego equals a little mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, there was just, there was a, you know, uh, a genuine... Uh, a very genuine quality about all you guys, man. Well, I, I think what's happened in our world today, <clears throat> I mean, we close our shows with a, with a thing called Ragged Old Flag. And we put the flag out, and, and, and the words to the Ragged Old Flag, it's almost like somebody wrote it today. And, and we dedicate it to all the people that ever fought in all the wars, and to our police department, all security, and we talk about the flag being in all the country it was in. <clears throat> and and I think so many people nowadays they they either forgot 
are, for some reason, they, they don't know how to count their blessings. And, and I tell people, you can go, you can, you can just get in your car and go to a shopping mall. You don't even have to get out. Just park and look at the door. The people going in and out of stores. And you can see people can't walk. They're rolled in on wheelchairs. They got whatever. Some of them really don't know who they are. And to sit and watch people, you can count your blessings and be so thankful that you're able to still be having a big time. Tell you what, I think... When are we going to get together and do this again? I look forward to it. I say, and, and to add to that, I think that when things are going just okay, they're going pretty darn good. I love you, and it's so nice to meet you, and I can't wait to continue this. Okay? All these years. Health, wealth, and happiness. get to meet you. I look forward to your 100th birthday, because I'm going to have me a shot of whatever you're drinking and a cigarette, too. But it'll be here for long. It'll be 20 years. Okay, I love it, man. Well, I'm going to have to get in shape. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. The great W.S. Fluke Holland, ladies and gentlemen, right here on DDTV. I love you. Get out of here. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation with W.S. Holland. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more of the leaders and legends in the Americana and Roots music scene. And don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.